Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report for November 19th, 2021. President Biden has some positions to fill on the Federal Reserve Board. The uh, process bears close watching as the market anticipates future decisions on interest rates. Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to discuss how the policy tilt of the Federal Reserve could change based on not only on who is chosen, but the speed at which open positions are filled. Bill, there's been a lot written about whether Fed Chairman Powell might be renominated to that position by President Biden. And at the time of our recording, November 16th, a decision seems imminent, so it might well have happened by the time our listeners are listening to this conversation. But other positions at the Fed need attention as well. Would you bring us up to date on vacancies? The FOMC currently has one vacancy that is a holdover from the Trump administration. At the end of the year, Randall Quarles will exit and Vice Chair Clarida's term ends in January, so there will be three openings at a minimum by early 2022. Chair Powell's term as chair ends in January, and if he is not reappointed, he will exit assuming the normal protocol. So if he isn't reappointed, there will actually be four vacancies. How would you describe the Fed's policy bias today based on eligible voting members? Well, the bias is a function of the permanent voters plus the rotation of regional bank presidents. All the governors and the New York Federal Reserve president are permanent voters. Every year, four regional bank presidents join the voting roster. We make a judgment on the bias of the members of the FOMC based upon their public statements and professional history. On a one-to-five scale, with one being the most hawkish, five being the most dovish, is how we rate them. We can then use these numbers to create an estimate of the current year's policy bias. Obviously, a reading of three would suggest a neutral Fed. The current configuration, based on our estimation, is 3.45, suggesting the current FOMC leans a bit dovish. Say if no one is named quickly to fill the current openings, how might the Fed's policy bias change in 2022? Next year, the rotation of regional bank presidents is decidedly hawkish. Esther George of the Kansas City Federal Reserve is, in our estimation, the most hawkish member of the FOMC. Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed has had a variable history, perhaps the most varied I've ever seen at the Fed. The St. Louis Fed has leaned hawkish in its history, and Bullard initially fit that mode, but a few years ago, he published a paper suggesting a major change of heart, and all indications was he was an uber But over the past year, he has changed course again and become quite hawkish on public statements. We rate him as a two. Loretta Meister of the Cleveland Fed generally leans hawkish. Now, the Boston Fed position is open after Eric Rosengren resigned as part of a trading scandal. However, it's important to note that regional bank presidents are appointed by their local boards. There tends to be a consistent pattern who gets appointed by these boards. In other words, regional banks tend to lean hawkish or dovish regardless of who is actually selected. Given the reputation of the Boston board, we would expect a hawk to replace Rosengren. So based off this information, the average would come in at 2.89, which is a bit hawkish. Is there any requirement dictating how quickly open positions have to be filled? No. Governor positions are filled at the discretion of the White House and Congress. The White House nominates and the Senate confirms. Regional bank presidents are replaced by their boards of directors of the regional Fed bank. Bill, what does the Biden administration desire from the Fed in terms of policy? 
Well, that's a really good question. As a general rule, presidents don't want recessions during their terms. So policy dovish enough to avoid recession without triggering inflation is, is kind of the optimal mix. So is the Biden administration necessarily looking for candidates who lean dovish on interest rates as opposed to hawkish? Well, yes, he, he does want a dove, but that doesn't make him unique. Most presidents want a dove unless inflation is so bad that the president purposely selects a hawk. Perhaps the only president in history that went that direction was Jimmy Carter, and it probably cost him his reelection. Can we say with any confidence that the pressure is on for the president to nominate candidates quickly to avoid a more hawkish Fed next year? Well, I sure think so. But this White House seems preoccupied with lots of issues, and this one can't seem to get much attention. We just had a consumer price report that got a lot of attention. The consumer price index rose 6.2% in October, and inflation rose even faster than wages. Real hourly wages fell 1.2% during the month. Was this report a, a game changer for either the Fed or for the current administration? Well, there's a lot of talk on this, but I, I actually don't think so. Inflation tends to affect investors and citizens with a lag. In other words, most people focus on the longer-term trend in inflation, and that seems to have the biggest impact. The reality is there isn't much that either the Fed or the executive branch can do to lower inflation that doesn't involve a recession. Yeah, the Fed could clearly reduce prices by raising interest rates sharply and triggering a recession, but raising rates won't necessarily fix the logistics problems plaguing the economy. Longer term, what the pandemic has revealed is the fragility of our supply chains. To make them resilient will lead to higher prices. After all, holding inventory costs money. So does sourcing production in safer but higher cost areas. The problem is there is no easy fix to our current inflation issues, although I do expect prices to stabilize next year. As you mentioned, the Senate has to approve all Federal Reserve Board nominations. I wonder, will inflation numbers, if they remain high, cause the Senate to more heavily scrutinize a nominee's views on, on whether job creation should be prioritized over inflation? Well, they might, although this usually becomes a party in power issue. For the party out of power, keeping inflation low at the cost of higher employment is, is reasonable. For the party in power, it's an anathema. So we wouldn't read a whole lot into the rhetoric. It has more to do with boosting one side's position. What is the Senate's history on approving or rejecting Federal Reserve governor nominees? In general, extremists don't make it. History shows that hawks or doves can be nominated, but unorthodox candidates fail. The Senate is, for its most part, still an establishment body, so views outside the main mainstream tend to fail. So under the Trump administration, for example, Herman Cain, Stephen Moore, Judy Shelton, and Marvin Goodfriend all failed in their nominations. All would hold positions that would be considered outside the mainstream. So we can say that the Senate prefers candidates who share some common traits and, and may have similar backgrounds. Yep. They can be conservative or liberal, hawkish or dovish, but they can't be unorthodox. Now, who are some likely candidates and what are their positions on policy? Well, these are mine and mine only. 
But these are the five that I think would be potential candidates that would fit into the, the mainstream construction and likely be approved. So Jason Furman, a well-known left-leaning orthodox economist who was the chair of economic advisors in the Obama administration. Another favorite would be Jared Bernstein. He was vice president of Biden's chief economic advisor. He does, however, hold some extreme views on the dollar's reserve status. Sarah Bloom Raskin, a Democrat, is was a former governor, so she would be a, an attractive choice. Neil Kashkari, who was a principal in the Lehman bailout and is the current president of the Minneapolis Fed. He's extremely dovish. He may be the most dovish member of the current FOMC, and that would make him attractive. And Raphael Bostic, who's the current president of the Atlanta Fed, he, he's actually more of a centrist. Now, you mentioned before how Jim Bullard has seemed to change positions. Is there any history of many candidates changing their basic positions on policy once they become Federal Reserve Board members or governors? Not really. Most of the time, governors or, or presidents tend to be pretty consistent. The only one that comes to mind is Jim Bullard. Jim Bullard's evolution on the board has been remarkable, in my opinion, in that he has moved from hawk to dove and now back to hawk. What are the markets expecting right now regarding the timing and number of future rate hikes? There's a number of different ways to look at this. Uh, there, for example, there are Fed funds futures that are out there, but they don't get traded a lot. I I tend to like to look at the euro dollar futures market, and and that market is now pointing to late 2022 or early 2023 for the first rate hikes. Does Confluence Investment Management share that expectation? No. I think the leadership of the Fed wants to hold off until 2023 or later before moving rates higher. However, there will be dissents from the FOMC to not raising rates, and there are higher odds that a chair could lose a vote if these open positions are not filled soon. Finally, Bill, the stock market is holding up very well right now, in spite of the latest consumer price report. If inflation remains high for a longer period of time, will stocks necessarily suffer? History would suggest they will, but the situation isn't as cut and dried as it appears. With high levels of inequality, the majority of household holding cash is in the top 10% of the income distribution. These households will be looking to protect against inflation by converting their cash to instruments that will protect against inflation. And if stocks are considered an, a decent inflation hedge, it may lead to even higher equity values, especially of companies that can maintain margins. Frankly, in our opinion, the biggest danger Danger comes from the bond market. The long-term average ex-post yield is about 2.1%. So taking that 6.2% inflation you mentioned earlier, that would generate an 8.3% yield on the 10-year, which would be catastrophic for the financial markets. So to some extent, the fate of the, of the stock market lies with the bond market. Before we close, Phil, I, I want to offer a note to listeners. We will not be recording or publishing an asset allocation report or podcast for next week due to the Thanksgiving Day holiday. The next report will emerge on December 3rd. From all of us at Confluence, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.